0: and scary seasons. It was a a very tough one and and some of you that were here then knew that the church was on edge and we had a lot of people leave and it really was a difficult time to to live through and to try and lead through. Uh, But God is so faithful, isn't he? So, so faithful. But in the midst of that challenging season, God knows what we need. He knows the people we need. And in the middle of that season, I I was at Kurong Bookstore and I came across this book, God's Heart Cry for Revival. This book rocked me. This book touched me deeply, and it was something that helped explain to me what was going inside of me, if, if that makes sense. We have things going on in our lives every now and then, and sometimes we need someone outside of that to just put into words what's stirring within us. And this book really, really helped me do that. And it, and it really helped me lead the church through the transition that we were going through at that stage. So, what happened is, after I read the book, I, I decided to get in contact with this, with this fella. Young fella, I think he was. Was. <laughs> uh, Rob Cartledge. I go, oh, yeah? Where's he from? Adelaide. Well, I'll get in contact with him just to thank him for the, for the book and thank him for the, the way the book impacted me. Instantly, our hearts connected. Within a short few weeks, we were at their house in Adelaide. Hey, surprise, we're here. We're here to stalk you. But they accepted us in. We really have enjoyed a wonderfully close friendship over the years now. And then Rob gave me the honor and the privilege of proofreading his next book, Taking Up Your Cross, and having um, a bit a bit of input within the book as well, which has always been a huge honor for me, brother. So thank you so much. But just to hear Rob's heart growing deeper and deeper in love with God and hearing the voice of the Spirit, what the Spirit's doing and saying to the church today. So that's Rob's second book, Taking Up Your Cross. i tell you what, this is not for the lighthearted. This is not for casual Christianity. This is the real deal. And it's something that Will really impact you deeply. And then Rob's third book, so you think you are baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's a question. You see, there's so much of the church today claiming to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but where's the power? Where on earth is the supernatural power that we read of in the book of Acts? Being baptized in the Spirit is not so just so we can speak in tongues. And that's it. Really, what's the point? If we're not changing the world, if we're not empowered to be a stronger, more powerful witness for Jesus, We've missed the point. So the heartbeat of this book, which when I proofread this book as well, I was so captivated and so set on fire for more. And this has been our journey for more of God, for more of his presence, for more of his power so that we can be more of a blessing to him, number one, and to those in our world. So to say that Rob Rob Cartledge has influenced us would be an understatement. He's a part of the family now. And Rob and Veena, we love these guys deeply. They're a, they're a close part of us and they lead a wonderful church in, um, in Adelaide called City East Church, which is the overflow out of this church as well. So we, we, we are deeply thankful for their commitment, their devotion to the gospel and to our Lord. But you know what, church? We want to honor him now. So can I ask you on your feet, please, and let's give this mighty man of God a cheer and thank him for his presence here today.
1: Going to go to Acts chapter 1. It's an easy chapter to find. Acts, straight after the four Gospels. Everyone reads ESV here? Amen? No?
0: Oh,
1: a mixture of everything? Well, I'm reading from the ESV. Okay, everyone there? Yep. All right. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen he was taken up so he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of god and while staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait but to tarry but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you heard from me for john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now Verse 6, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's funny about that. Jesus is about to be taken away and they start asking him at this time, are you going to do something? They're asking him for some sort of direction. And is this what you're going to do, predicting what Jesus is going to do? But he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In some ways, if you say that in a certain way, you could just about be a rebuke for an answer. Because they were more concerned with something that Jesus wasn't concerned with. Jesus was concerned, but you will receive power. He wanted to make clear to them that you're going to receive power and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's as far as we'll go. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to receive power you're going to receive power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now I just commit this sermon to you. Right now I commit it to you, Lord. This is your sermon. And Lord, help me to preach it faithfully. Help me to preach it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it not be, let it not be something that I just made up with my own imagination, Lord. And I know it's not, Lord. But let it be something that is from the Spirit for us right now that will speak into every single heart here and transform our lives and change us, change our Christianity, change our Christianity and switch us on, Lord Jesus, to be the people you created us to be. Help us to be the people that you died for us to be. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you speak through me, that I do not say any word which is not of you, but I speak everything according to the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And help me not to stray from the word, but be faithful. And Lord, I pray right now that you open up every heart. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, Jesus. open my heart heart. to receive your Holy Spirit. Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. overflowing. May you impact me. May you you change me. Turn me into the person person. you created me to be. Help me to follow the Lord the Lord Jesus, and do his will every day of my life. Lord, I I pray that I will receive the power from on high and live to serve you faithfully the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've got a few questions for you. Firstly, put up your hand if you believe that Jesus is God. Put up your hand if you believe that Jesus is God. That's pretty much everyone or, or nearly everyone. Put up your hand if you don't believe Jesus is God. Okay? You're obviously, if you don't believe it, uh, you're obviously frightened to put your hand up. But uh, just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. So Jesus is God. Amen? He's not some superhuman that came and was just, you know, like a Buddha or a, a Muhammad or something. But he is God in the flesh. Amen? Because the word of God tells us so. Put up your hand that if, you, if before you got saved, you had the Holy Spirit come upon you and convict you of sin and your need for Christ. If before you got saved, the Holy Spirit came upon you and convicted you of sin. Put up your hand if that's how you came to know Jesus. So I take it that the rest of you didn't come to know Jesus through him revealing your need for salvation. And you need to get right with him. Amen? Does everyone get my question? Yeah? I'm going to ask it once more. Put up your hand. Listen closely. If you believe you got saved, when you got saved, that the Holy Spirit came upon you and convicted you of sin. Okay, now there's, a, there's a quite a few more. Now, all true believers, and I'm not saying those who didn't put their hand up aren't, but most, most of the time, if you come to Jesus, you'll, be, you'll have your sin revealed to you and you'll need to repent. Because Jesus says, unless you repent, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So if you've never repented and you've been a Christian all these years, if you've never turned from sin, and that's what repentance really means, if you've never repented, you really aren't a Christian. Because the Bible says, unless you repent, you will not see the kingdom of God. And I think that's an important point because there's many Christians who have never repented. There's many Christians. Actually, I believe the bulk of Christianity, professed Christianity in the world, are unrepentant. And they claim Christianity. So many people will say, I'm a good person, therefore I'm a Christian. They, They relate Christianity with being good. But we're not good people. Only Jesus is good. And actually, Jesus said only the Father is good. We need salvation. We need the righteousness of Christ in our life. We need to repent. So if you have never repented, there's going to be an opportunity for you to repent and come clean with God so that God can forgive you. Because if you don't ask for forgiveness, how can you be forgiven? Amen? It's as simple as that. Put up your hand if when you responded to the Holy Spirit and repented of all your sin that you were born again. Yeah? When you repented, you were born again. The Bible tells us that. Put up your hand if at a later time you received a significant baptism of power from God. He baptized you with power in response to tarrying until you received it. Put up your hand if you've received that. Okay. Put up your hand if you've witnessed to an unbeliever this morning. Anyone been out in the street? Talk to someone that doesn't believe about Jesus this morning. Put up your hand if you talked to someone about Jesus, an unbeliever, to an unbeliever about Jesus yesterday. Put up your hand if you spoke to someone about Jesus, an unbeliever, sorry, I'll say that again, if you've spoken to someone last week about Jesus. Okay, what about last month? Okay, so more and more. Put up your hand if you led someone to the Lord yesterday. Put up your hand if you've led someone to the Lord last week. Put up your hand if you've led someone to the Lord last month. Okay. So I want to make it clear, no one put up their hand. Neither did I, by the way. Put up your hand if Christ healed someone of a debilitating or life-threatening disease by your laying on of hands in the name of Christ. And if, if, you, did, if you did that yesterday. Did that happen yesterday? What about last week? What about last month? Very good. Praise God. What about ever? Okay. Put up your hand if you prayed for someone to receive sight and laid hands on them and they were healed. What about if you prayed for someone who was deaf and they could hear? What about if you prayed for a dead person? And they were raised to life. <laughs> Did your hand go up there? <laughs> Spiritually dead. We're always praying for them. And they, some of them are coming to life. What about casting out demons? Anyone cast out demons? I've done that a few times. It's quite eye opening. I think you all see where I'm going with this. Turn your Bibles to Mark 16, Mark 16, 17 to 18. And it says this, And these signs, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. It's not necessarily speaking of tongues of angels. can be, but it could be tongues of languages of men, which was what was used on the day of Pentecost. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will, not might, will recover. That's a significant passage. We've got to read that a few times and we've got to take it very, very seriously because it says these signs will accompany those who believe. let's, Let's turn to Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8. We're all there? It says this, And proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's the message. We've got to proclaim as we go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. You know, when we read Acts 1, it says you will receive power when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you're baptised with the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Now, if that's what it says, my question is, have we received the power? We haven't received the power. There are the few that have received the power, and there's, there's many around the world that have received the power. But you know what? When they receive the power, they become you know, people that get followed around. Their ministries explode. They start start to do incredible exploits for Jesus. And a lot of those people we have never heard of, we've never seen, and they're in countries that are doing incredible things we don't know nothing about. And so all we, we know is what we know and the people we know and we get used to it and we just accept it. We just accept how we are. We accept the mundane, in a sense. So Christianity becomes this thing that you do on Sunday morning And it's a thing I try to pick up the Bible every day. I try to pray through the week. And it becomes a mundane, nearly boring existence for a lot of us. That's why a lot of people turn away from Jesus. Because they're not walking in the power. The power is there. And don't let any of these televangelists deceive you. Don't let ministers of these big mega churches that don't preach the truth, because I'll tell you, they don't preach the truth. They don't preach about repentance. They don't preach about hell. They preach a prosperity gospel which is not according to the truth. It's scriptures taken out of context. And then they tell you you've got the power. Then they tell you that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. They tell you you're baptized. And you go away, yes, I must be because my pastor's been telling me I am because I speak in the tongues of angels. I started to question all that because I could see Christianity is failing the battle. Christianity is failing the battle for souls. Satan is beating us hands down. You know, if this was an Aussie rules match, it's like Satan is 120 and we're about one or two. You know, I keep a couple of points. But something's got to change. Something's got to break. And I believe we're living in the time when something is going to change. Attitudes are going to change. Eyes are going to be opened. And this is in the church. Eyes of the church must be opened. Ears must be unplugged. And I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to me because I'm exactly in the same boat as you, experiencing the same thing, frustrated that I don't have that. I pray for it, I don't get it. I pray for it, I don't get it. I'm going, what is it, God? What's stopping it? What's stopping that flow? How come? There's a scripture in, in Acts where Peter, I can't remember which village it was or town it was, but the people of the town, there was someone that died And the the Christians of the town obviously couldn't get this person to raise from from the dead. But they said, I hear that Peter is here, not far from here. Go and fetch him. And they brought Peter in and Peter came in and he just walked in and get up in the name of Jesus. That's pretty much all he said. And he got up. So even back then, there were people that didn't have the power, but the disciples did. But we hear of men of God throughout history where the power has been given. Smith Wigglesworth, who knows of Smith Wigglesworth? What an incredible man of God. Once he got the power, he didn't let go of it. And he walked in that power continuously day after day after day and he saw countless salvations. And then you've got guys like Charles Finney. It's not known that he ever healed anyone as far as I know. He might have. I know he caused rain to break a drought of three years through a prayer. But he would see souls coming to know Jesus every day. Do you know if he went one day, just one day, and someone didn't come to saving faith through just his passing words, he would repent and fast until the power came back? One day without a soul coming into the kingdom, he'd repent and fast. And how long do we go without a soul coming into the kingdom? Some Christians go a lifetime and never see one soul and never fast about it or pray about it. Is this the truth? Are we living by the truth or are we living in some watered-down version of the truth? I'll tell you something about watered-down versions. God's sick of them. And he's going to change that water to wine. He's going to change that water to wine. But we must recognize that something's not quite right. As Mark says, there's got to be more. You know he's reading a book at the moment. I saw it on your desk. There's got to be more. I think it's called. There is more. There is more. That's the one. When I looked at that, I thought, oh, just like Mark, what sort of book I expect to see on his desk? Have we received the power? We can doctrinalize this word of God away. You know that? You can doctrinalize everything I say away. You can go away and you can get out the Bible. Oh, I'll prove that guy wrong. I'll prove we have got the power. But come on, man, go out and raise the dead then. <laughs> Prove it to me. You've got the power. Let's see you walk down the street and bring 10 people to the Lord. Charles Finney, if you said, Charles, I don't believe you're a man of God, go and walk down the street and bring 10 people to the Lord. You'd go, okay. <laughs> and he'd go and do it. He walked through a factory just by looking at women that were making fun of him. They, their threads broke. They started to cry because they were working with sewing machines and stuff. Started to cry and within an hour, they're all having this massive meeting and hundreds of people came to know Jesus just from a look. Just from a look because he he didn't need to say anything because the power of God came out so powerfully. And I want to read you something. I'm going to the end of my notes because I know I'm never going to get through all this. So I'm just jumping around here. See if I can find it. Got an incredible quote from Pastor Mark. If I get around to that, I'm reading that too. It's going to knock your socks off. Charles Finney said this. He said, When Christians humble themselves, humble themselves, when Christians get over their pride, stop getting offended when the man of God puts it to them straight. Because you know what? Most people, if, if, if they don't take my word, it's because they get offended and they go, oh, he was a bit hard. He's coming at me, you know, hell for leather sort of thing. I don't like that. Sort of bruised my ego. And so rather than going, Yeah, I I receive. I'm going to go home. I'm going to seek God about this because I want that power. Who doesn't want to be able to raise the dead? Put up your hand if you don't want to raise the dead. Not one hand. Who would not want to walk through the children's hospital and see all the kids laying on beds with cancer and walk through and go, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And just walk through there and every kid just jumps up. Bang, bang. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to walk in in, a place where all the blind gather and heal them all? And it's there, it's there, it's in the Word. It tells us that that's the power we should have. Do you imagine what one man who walked in that power could do in Australia? One, You show me one minister in Australia that can do that for real. I'm not talking about healing someone with a little migraine. Not not a little one, they're big ones usually. With a headache. Someone comes up, I've got a headache, I'll pray for you. Oh, I feel better. I'm not talking about that sort of healing. Psychological, even psychological healing. You can feel better because you have a But I'm talking about someone who comes up and they're genuinely, genuinely crippled. And limbs start to grow. I'm talking about someone who has the confidence like John G. Lake to walk into hospitals, walk through hospitals and see people getting up. Who wouldn't want that power? Doing it in the eyes of surgeons, doing it in the eyes of of the media who's following you with cameras because they just want to see if this stuff is genuine, and you're still not losing faith. You can still perform it, and you don't doubt it, and you're not wondering, is God going to do this? You're just going to know God is going to do this. Who wants that confidence? Who wants it? Seriously, put your arm up, hand up if you want it, because God sees the heart. If you don't want it, God will go, okay, well, he didn't put his hand up, so he didn't really want it. But I can see most of you have put your hand up. Is everyone getting what I'm saying? Genuine Christianity. When Christians humble themselves and consecrate their all afresh to Christ. This is Charles Finney. When they consecrate their all, meaning lay it all down, give it all to God. And ask for the power, they will often receive such a baptism that they will be instrumental in converting more souls in one day than in all their lifetime before. While Christians remain humble enough to retain this power, if you're humble enough to retain the power, because it can be lost, you can grieve the Holy Spirit and you can grieve Him away. You can fall into dreadful sins that the Holy Spirit can say, enough, I don't want to be around this anymore. I don't want to be around this guy when he commits adultery. Because if he's committing adultery, I'm not with him and he can't say he's got the Holy Spirit power any longer because he's grieved the Holy Spirit away. Sin causes the Holy Spirit to depart fast. And you know what? I believe we all battle with it in one form or another, one degree or another. We all battle with it. We're all struggling with it, but we've got to overcome it. We've got to become overcomers. We've got to get to the point where sin doesn't look tempting in one, any, any way, shape, or form. It's just we're that far above it. We're living in the heavenlies. We're walking that close to Jesus that sin is under our feet. But if we're not up there with Jesus, sin is going to be around. You know what I mean? We've got to get above it and overcome it. We can be more instrumental in converting more souls in one day than in all their lifetime before and while Christians remain humble enough to retain this power the work of conversion will go on until whole communities and whole regions of the country are converted to Christ now this guy could write that not because he thought that up because he experienced it he saw entire regions of america converted There was times where, where, during Charles Finney's ministry, where 50,000 people were coming to the Lord a week under his ministry. They say at the end of his ministry, over 3 million. Over 3 million. And this is before radio, television, anything like that. That was just through a traveling ministry. And you know what? They were converted through repentance. They repented of all their sin and they lived for Christ. And when they were checked on many, many years later, the only ones that were not still converted were the ones that went to weak powerless churches and got taught the false message and they slowly you know departed from the faith but most of them that stayed and lived under what charles finney had taught stayed safe despite those crazy documentaries that you see on tv and youtube and stuff because i've watched a few that really bag charles finney but i'm thinking of course satan is going to bag charles finney he's one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived but you know the word of god tells us this That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in baptism, that we will receive power. We won't receive a little bit of power. We will receive full power. That's what we're after. Full power, full baptism. Okay, I just want to ask these questions to you. When you were baptized, actually I don't have to ask that because not many people put their hand up. They believed in their heart that they lacked something. I won't go there. You believe you lacked that. But I want to ask you this question. Have we settled for a weaker version of Christianity than the Bible speaks about? Have we settled for it? I think we have. It's comfortable. It's comfortable. You've made this church very comfortable quickly. It's comfortable to come here. Fantastic worship. Who doesn't love the worship? That was awesome, Mark. Awesome. And all the worship team, that was so, so good. And just to be in God's presence. But we can sort of get used to that and satisfied and comfortable and then we can leave and we can go about our normal lives and forget Jesus and you know what when you get to the gates of heaven and when you get to judgment you stand before God on that day is he going to say well done you did a really good job at your workplace you worked really well you built really good things you did, you were excellent in your job you're upstanding in your job No. He's not going to say, well done, you earned half a million dollars. You had a half a million dollars worth of, you know, home and and stuff. He's not going to care what you earned. He's not going to care about all the things that we actually put most of our priorities upon. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, he's going to say, what did you do for me? What did you achieve for me? What treasures did you build for my kingdom? How many souls did you bring? With you, and I know we'll be going. Oh, look! I I talked to a whole heap of them, but got into arguments with every one of them, and then they didn't become. They, I lost friendship with them. I had other friends that were pretty cool guys, and I didn't want to speak to them because I might threaten their relationship. So I just didn't mention it to those ones. Uh, My parents just said, "You know, I don't want to hear you anymore," so I didn't speak to them either. And my brothers and sisters, they just go, you know, that Rob, he's a... And that's what they do. They still love me, though. (laughs) They're a forgiving bunch. But you know what I mean? When you stand before God on Judgment Day, He's going to ask you, what did you do for me? You're saved. Don't get me wrong. You're saved. You won't get thrown into hell. If you hold to a confession of faith, you are saved. And by being born again, by having repented of your sin, you are saved. So if you have never repented of your sin, you've got to repent. You've got to come clean with God and confess your sin and turn and follow him. But that's stage one. Stage two is to get empowered. That's the next thing. The disciples were saved when Jesus was resurrected and their eyes saw him resurrected. But he said, I have to return to the Father. And if I don't, you're not going to receive the power. So they were saved. At that point, they could have rested in that, couldn't they? If they were like the modern church, they would have gone, that's enough. And he says, tarry, and they estimate that it was about a 10-day tarry. 10 days. Who's prayed for 10 days here straight? Two years straight. Very good. Beautiful, beautiful. And this, But this prayer was constant, non-stop prayer. 10 days as a group. They held to the faith. They held to the faith. They held to their prayer. They tarried. They did exactly what Jesus asked. Do you think that was just the command for them? Do you think that's all he commanded? He just said, you guys, you 10 or 12, sorry, you 12, tarry. And there was, I think there was a few more than 10 or 12, sorry. There was about 60. Do you think the command was just for them? Or do you think that was universal or that's a universal application I believe it's a universal application. Once we receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we are then to tarry. We are then to tarry. We are then to wait in his presence and pray and seek the power and not give up until the power comes and not give up. And then if you do that, if you've tarried and you've waited and you've received the power, then effective ministry begins. And I believe... Personally, that's why I've got this challenge, that so you think you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and people don't like that title. They don't like that part of it being questioned. What? What's he saying? I haven't been baptized? I say, I don't know. (laughs) Read the book and tell me. Because if you fulfill the conditions, if you've received power, you'll be effective in ministry. Now, there will be people that read my book and go, yep, 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 tick all the boxes. I am baptized. But then there'll be others that will read it and go, no, 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 no hang on, have I missed something? Have I missed something? Is there more to this faith than meets the eye? Is there more to this Christianity than meets the eye? And I believe there is. I believe there's so much more. So much more. We haven't scratched the surface. We haven't hardly touched what God has for us. And God waits. God waits for his people. He's a patient Long-suffering God, he waits and waits and waits. And in some respects, he waits and never sees it eventuate in his people. And there's so many churches that God is waiting on and they're not seeing it. They haven't even discovered that in the scriptures because they don't even bother to read it. They don't read the scriptures. They don't find out the truth. And they've got ministers that, that... they think, well, I don't need to read the Bible because my minister will tell me everything I need to know. And these ministers up there saying, you've got the power. <laughs> That's not true. Because unless you have the evidence of the, the Pentecostal outcomes, you can't assume you have it. If you don't have, it's not the Pentecostal experience. A lot of people say, oh, if you speak in tongues, you're baptized in the Spirit. I remember someone said that to me. Tell you the truth, the person that led led me in that uh, was saying to Veena and I, just let your tongue go, copy us and f- and follow us. And so he was going, you know, like that. I don't do it anymore because I'm I'm backing off until God really reveals it. But um, he was doing something, and I could roll my tongue like that. I can say a few Greek words, so I get the going really well. So I'm, I started. Oh, he's going, okay. I can do that. And and ever since then, that's pretty well. What I do when I've done it, but I haven't done it for years because I said, Okay, Lord, I don't even, I doubt that because I copycatted. I copycatted that man. I didn't feel it bubble up inside me. And I'm sure there's many here that have felt it bubble up inside. But let me tell you this the tongues, excuse me, the tongues that were spoken on Pentecost were not tongues of angels. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. They weren't tongues of angels, they were tongues of the languages of men. And it was for the purpose of ministry. It was so that the people out there could hear them in their own language and hear them praising God in their own tongue. And that alone just blew their mind. How did these Jews know my language? How did those guys say that to me? And there was about 18, 20 languages or more that they were speaking in on that day. That's amazing. Have you experienced that? Or was it just the tongues of angels? And I believe the tongues of angels is a gift of the Spirit, one of the gifts. We receive it. It's a gift like prophecy and all these other things. But the, the outcome is what we should be looking at. If you're not walking and seeing the outcome of the Pentecostal, experience, uh, Pentecostal outcomes, then don't assume you have the power when you don't have the power. Amen? If you don't have the power, don't assume you have the power. And the power is not to speak in tongues. That's ridiculous. Jesus didn't die on the cross and then come back to life and then get ascended to heaven to just send us tongues. What's that? So we can freak people out when they come into our church and go, get out of here. I'm not going into that place. Listen to that mob. Because that's what it says in Corinthians, doesn't it? If you're, if you're speaking in tongues all the time, people are going to come in and they're going to get freaked out and walk out. And they'll say, those guys are crazy. Those guys are nutcases. That's why he said... Seek to prophesy. Seek the greater gifts. Tongues is the least of the gifts. When it was listed in the list of gifts, prophecy is the greatest of gifts, as is apostleship. Seek those gifts. And if you want to seek those gifts, you need that baptism of power. So we're not seeking the, we, we are seeking the gifts of the Spirit, as so it says to seek the gifts of the Spirit, but we are seeking now the gift of the Spirit. Amen? The gift of the Spirit. And this is how we can say it. When you first receive Jesus into your life, you possess the Holy Spirit. He enters your heart, and you can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So when He's entered your heart, you you have Him. You've, you possess Him. But when you get baptized, He possesses you. He possesses you. And that turns everything around. Suddenly, it's not, I go where I want. Remember Peter? He says you know, now you go where you want to, you go here, you go there, do whatever you want. He says, but there's going to come a time when someone else is going to dress you and you will go where you don't want to go or where, where he leads you to go. And that's what we're looking at. We need to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I use the word possessed, some people go, oh, possession, you know, exorcism here, you know, the exorcist, you're going to get possessed by... A demon. No, this is the, the real thing, the possession of being possessed by the Holy God of the universe. Not Satan. People, it's amazing the words. You say words and they go, whoa, possession. Oh, no. I don't want to be possessed by anyone or anything. Yes, you do. You want to be possessed by God. You want to be possessed by God, creator of the universe. And if you're possessed by him, you'll speak for him. You will then be his ambassador. You will then have the mind of Christ. A lot of ministers will say, you have the mind of Christ. Oh, really? Do we? Do we have the mind of Christ through the week? Through all the places that we go? Do we, be honest with ourselves, do we walk in the mind of Christ 100% of the time? I'm not saying we don't walk in the mind of Christ part of the time. But I'm saying we must walk in the mind of Christ at all times. And you can't physically do that, mentally or spiritually do that, unless you have that power. Amen? Leonard Ravenhill. Who, who's heard of Leonard Ravenhill? If you haven't, you've got to check out Leonard Ravenhill. He's, he's an old preacher from the 50s and stuff. You can see videos of him on the internet. He is unbelievable to watch. You see the power of God working through that man when he ministers. He would have preached a sermon like this, wouldn't he, Mark? And he said this. He said, I am astounded... I am bewildered. I'm confused. I'm baffled when people tell me in America that we have 75 million people filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're the rottenest nation on earth. 75 million Christians who believe they're baptized in the Holy Spirit in America, yet it's the rottenest nation on earth. It's leading the way in sin and debauchery, it's leading the world astray through Hollywood, through the music, through everything else that they promote there. If there was one, maybe a few more because it's a big population, maybe say five, <laughs> but if there was a number of truly baptized Christians in America, they would turn America upside down. I truly believe it. When have you heard, have you ever heard of someone walking into a hospital and emptying a hospital of sick people? Have you, have you ever heard of people walking into a place where, like a hospital for the blind, and all the blind walking out seeing? Have we believed that we've had something that we haven't got? How many Christians believe they have something they haven't got? If you truly had the power to heal the blind, wouldn't you, the first thing you do is start healing the blind? If you had the power to raise the dead, wouldn't you start visiting some morgues? Now, we've got to remember, we've got to remember in this that Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda. And there was a, must have been a lot of people at the pool of Bethesda who were sick and crippled and maimed and all trying to get into the water. There was a lot of people there, wasn't there? How many people did Jesus heal? One. Because God led him to heal just one person. But there's other accounts in the scriptures where Jesus healed every single person that came to him. Everyone that came to Jesus was healed. So whole villages were healed. Whole, everyone. That's what I'm after. Have we yielded to an acceptable version? A secular version of Christianity, which is weak and powerless. Have we yielded to that? I believe that a good portion of the church has accepted a grave misteaching. In relation to the baptism, did you know one portion of the church believe that there is no actual Holy Spirit baptism any longer? They don't believe the Holy Spirit baptism even occurs anymore. They're probably not half wrong in a lot of respects. We're not seeing it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means, from experience, we haven't seen that many that have been baptized. Another group believe that you're baptized when you first believe. There's a lot of teachers around that the moment you accept Jesus in your life, you're baptized. Oh, where's the power? Because the baptism is promised to give you power. Another group believe in a separate baptism from your initial born-again conversion. However, they only look to the tongues as evidence. They only look to tongues. They look for the Pentecostal experience rather than the Pentecostal outcomes, a watered-down version of Christianity. This is what followed the disciples. They were baptised in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. 3,000 came in. Acts 2.47, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved, daily additions. Acts 5.14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 6.7 says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 9, 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, uh, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and was being multiplied in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. Multiplied. So it's no longer additions. It's now multiplying. If there was two, there's four. If there's three, there's six. Acts 13, 41, it says that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, the whole region. Are we settling for a powerless, for a power that's less than what the Bible declares? Are we settling for a power that is less than what the Bible declares If the word of God is true, then what we can draw from the words of Christ and the acts of the believers of the early church is that those who are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit will have incredible influence on unbelievers. The last time you talked to an unbeliever, what was the outcome? Did they receive Jesus as their Lord? Was it a cool ending or was it a hot ending? Can you remember? Was it a bit of a debate? A bit of a fight? You know who's who's had arguments with people when you tried to tell them about Jesus, yeah? Who's had probably more arguments than not when you tell people about Jesus? When you're telling people about Jesus, do you feel like why can't I string the words together right? Why is it all coming out wrong? How come I feel so? ineffective in reaching their hearts. How come I feel like this? And you can see their blindness, but you can't do anything about it. It's the same feeling as when you pray for a blind person to receive physical sight. And you pray and you go, why does it feel like nothing's going to happen? Why do doubts just overwhelm me when I'm praying for this person or praying for a sick person with cancer? And all I'm feeling is doubt, doubt, doubt. Are we missing the real thing? When you signed up for Christianity, did you sign up for power or did you sign up for ineffectiveness? When you became a Christian, did you want to shake the nation for the faith or did you just want to make sure that you get into heaven? That's another question you can ask too because a lot of Christians just, you know, backup plan in case. In case what everyone else believes is true, Oh, not true, sorry, this is good. It's good to have Jesus. But you know what Jesus is going to say to some people? And I pray right now, none of you. But Jesus is going to say to some people on that day, Lord, they're going to say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast the demons in your name and do this for you and do that for you? And I did this, I had a great ministry. You know, I used to preach on Sundays for you, Lord. And I told a few people about you, Lord. I've done all these wonderful things. And Jesus is going to say, get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. And you know what? I feel in the Spirit, or well, we know, and I know in this, the truth of this, that prayer will get us there. Prayer will draw us close to Jesus. Prayer will, will move his heart to say, okay, now he's ready to receive the power. So if you want power and you pray five minutes in the morning and that's it, Don't expect it. I'm not saying take days off work so you can pray. You know, it might be good. Instead of having a sickie, have a pray. But imagine that. I can't come in. I'm praying. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I don't feel right. I've got to pray. But when we signed up, we signed up for the real thing, most of us. Amen. Who doesn't want people to go to heaven? All of us want people to go to heaven. We all want people to be saved. Who doesn't want their unbelievers in their family to go to heaven? We all want them saved, don't we? And wouldn't you like to be able to be instrumental in getting them saved? Wouldn't you want to be instrumental in seeing all of your family saved, all of your friends saved? And all they can say is, what has happened to you, man? I know you're a Christian, but this is ridiculous. I want what you got. You know, you hear that people, you know, that you get, I've heard preachers saying it to congregations that when you go out, you know, because you're a Christian, people are going to say, I want what you got. And most of them, if they're honest with themselves, saying, oh, I don't know if that many people think like that about me. <laughs> half the time, I don't feel half different from a really good-hearted atheist. That's to be honest. We know some lovely atheists, beautiful people, gorgeous people, just blind as bats, but beautiful people. I just wish they would come to know Jesus because they're just prime candidates. But you know what? They're an atheist because they don't see power in the church. They don't see evidence for our faith. They don't see what what we boast about, or some Christians boast about. They don't see it, and so they don't want it. We can't let ourselves be fooled that we have something they haven't got when we don't have. We have this, I'll tell you now. I'm not trying to make you completely feel incompetent. We are born again. We're not useless under it. You know, I'm just born again. I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you now. I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've had some incredible encounters with God. I've had some moving, moving times with God. The Holy Spirit's come on me and uh, filled me, and I've, I've felt just incredible in the Lord. But unless I see the outcomes, I'm not going to judge that as a baptism. Because when I've, in my book, So You Think You've Been Baptized with the Holy Spirit, I go through about the lives of, I think, about seven men of God who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they had significant encounters, and their lives radically transformed from that moment forward. And I, I listed them, and I talk about all of their statements and what they said about that baptism. And when I read that and I'm, I'm looking at myself, I'm going, no, well, what I had wasn't that. Because I know, because it didn't change anything. I had the love of God expressed over me. He embraces me. He's embraced me. I'm sure all of you have had that experience. He's touched you. How many people felt the Holy Spirit over them while we were worshipping today? Yeah, I did. I felt the Holy Spirit moving over me. Beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. I always wish, don't go away. Stay like this. I could stay like this. I'm feeling it right now. I could stay in that place forever. It's so beautiful. But that's not the power. And we can't be deceived into thinking that just because we feel some tingles that we have the power. Because you can't win a soul by saying, I've got some tingles. <laughs> Are you feeling those tingles? They going no. Nope. <laughs> I feel it. Man, whoa. God's all over me. And they're going, really? I can't see it. <laughs> God's all over you. How come I can't see anything happening? So we want the real thing. We want that power. Amen. I'm going to give you some reasons why I believe we don't have the power. Number one is we think we already have it. <laughs> Who prays for something if they think they already have it? Who prays for something if they've already got it? It's crazy, isn't it? You've got a Ferrari, you don't pray for a Ferrari. I've got one. Don't need it now. I've got a Hilux, best car on earth. Don't, oh, I want a new model. <laughs> want a, it's a two, two-wheel drive, I want a four-wheel drive. But anyway, I can't be satisfied. But I've got a Hilux, so I don't really pray for one. So that's a big curse in the church. Huge curse in the church. Huge, huge, huge debilitating curse. If the, the body of Christ at the moment, we are living in the Laodicean era. I tell you, we are right in it. But Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. We have a form of godliness, we all do. But we deny the power, we think we have it, we don't. We don't see it, and that was a sign of the age. We're living in that age where the power is not evident, but we believe we have it. It's, that's a pretty radical, and that's why I wrote that book, because I wanted to question, do you really have it? And consequently, it's one of the worst sellers in Australia yeah we we might have had it we have had the holy spirit baptism there are people that have had the holy spirit baptism but guess what it needs renewing it needs rejuvenating it needs an overhaul we need to go back to our first love we've got to reclaim the blessing charles finney talks about having been baptized and then going through seasons of what he called baptisms through his life. He had seasons where he was baptized again. So you and you, you read about that in Acts four thirty one that after the after they prayed the building shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had another baptism and they were recharged again because they'd just gone through some persecution, they needed recharging. That we are dreadfully sinful, this is another reason why we don't have it. We are dreadfully sinful and don't repent. Who's never sinned as a Christian? I to be one in the church. <laughs> Someone lie. Sinner. <laughs> there he is up the back there. <laughs> we're dreadfully sinful and don't repent. You know what? Every revival, true revival, I'm talking about here because there's a lot of people that have revival crusades and they boast there's going to be a revival and come and, okay, we're having it. This community don't know anything about it. <laughs> no one knows about it. The only re- way we find out is on YouTube. <laughs> we're having a revival. Oh, well, you decided, did you? Did God show up? But the true revivals were always preceded by repentance. Always, without doubt, every revi- How many revivals you read about, Mark? Always repented. Always, always. And it's not the unbelievers repenting. It's my people, if they call by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Who? His people turning from sin. That's what he, he calls us to. And when the church repents, God starts to act. God starts to do something. He loves it when you repent because he can look at you again. You can't see the face of God with sin all over you. The Holy Spirit loves it when you repent because he can come back, because he can forgive you and he can come back. You know, you think about it. When you sin, it's as grievous to the Holy Spirit as if you're married and you commit adultery. But the Holy Spirit can be very merciful. Where a wife or a husband might not forgive, the Holy Spirit will forgive. And when you repent and say, Lord, sorry, I'm so sorry I kept, bringing those porn sites up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I started smoking dope again and I couldn't stop. My old carnal nature coming back. I'm so sorry, Lord, that every Saturday night I look forward to getting drunk. And you've told me no drunkard will get into the kingdom of God. I'm so sorry. Now, when the church begins to repent and change their attitude towards sin... And starts to be a holy people. We are called to holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the kingdom of God. When people start to repent and live holy lives, the Lord goes, okay, now I can use this people. Couldn't use them before. They were useless to me. I'd given some answers to prayer because I love them. I died for them. But i tell you what, I died for them to overcome sin. You're free from sin. You're not free to sin. You're not free to sin. You're free from sin. His blood covers you, you're covered. That doesn't mean, oh, now I'm free. I can just sin all I want and God's going to keep forgiving me. It means you repent, you come back to the Lord. Now, sin should be a rarity, not the norm. It should be one of those things that you... You know, you're out with your mates, a glass of wine. I've got nothing against drinking. I'm one of those guys that, you know, do not drink. The reason I'm like that is because Jesus used to drink. <laughs> not an alcoholic, but he would have a wine. He actually turned water to wine. And he was always found to be preaching to people in, in hotels, or the equivalent of. You know, if you want to find Jesus, if Jesus came to earth, you'd probably find him down at your local... Not getting drunk, but reaching them because there's nothing wrong with a glass. But you don't have 10 glasses because as soon as you get to that point, you're entered into sin. Now, I'm going to get crucified if this gets on YouTube for that because there's some around that are convinced you can't drink. But that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You can have a drink. Now, I forgot where I was going before I started saying that now. But, so I'll go on to the next point. Wow, I've gone right over time, haven't I? We don't tarry. I'm just going to speed through these last couple of points. That's another reason why we don't see the power. We don't get the power. We don't get the baptism because we don't tarry. It's point four. Point five is we don't believe his word. We read it. We say, yeah, great stories some great stuff, some real words of wisdom in there, but there's some things in it. I don't believe it applies to me because I don't see it. But you have your doubts. We limit God by our own view of ourselves. Now, this is not a self-esteem point. It's not about getting a big ego. It's we, we start to think, there's no way God can use me in that, so I'm not even going there. You know, if Mark thought that, this building wouldn't have occurred. You know, no way I could get that building. But he went in the hands of faith. You know, you've got to walk in faith. You've got to believe by faith. Believe for those things that be not as if they are. And seven, we don't walk in the Spirit. You've got to wake up every day and walk in the Spirit. It says your, clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. Be clothed in Jesus Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Continuously walk in Him. Amen? I won't read your blurb because it's quite long. You can, I'll give it to you. You can preach it next week. Get ready because it knocks your socks off. It blew me anyway. I just want to ask two things and then I'm going to hand it over to Dave. If there is anyone here who does not know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you've got to know this guy. He is amazing. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I want to chalk up a salvation or something, but he died. This is how amazing he is. He died for your sins. So when you stand before God, if you've believed in him and you've repented and said, Lord, forgive me for all my sin when you get to heaven, he's going to stand beside you and he's going to be your companion in, in the judgment. He's going to stand with you in the judgment. And when God is looking at you and he's, he's going to see you, but he's going to see you through the eyes of his son and through the eyes of, of what he did for you. And he's going to see that you loved him. You loved him that laid his life down for you. And as, as it, simple as that is, there needs to be some messages on the cross and the power of the blood and the power of, the, of what he actually did in, that, in, in his sacrifice. At this time, it's best to know your sins are atoned for, provided you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He'll forgive you and you will enter into the kingdom of God. Amen? And so if there's anyone here who's never received Jesus, who's never repented and got right before God, when Dave comes up, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come up here and and we're going to pray with you. But also, for those who want the power, I'm calling you today to come forward and we're going to be praying for God to give you the anointing. And this anointing we're going to be praying for, it's two, two different prayers. One is to tarry and pray. When I was thinking, oh Lord, we'll pray that they receive the baptism. And the Lord spoke to me and said, hang on, there's a condition, tarry tarry. I don't want you to pray for someone if they've never tarried, never even considered it until now. And suddenly I pray and they just feel some tingles and they think I'm baptized. So if you've never tarried, if you've never persevered in that, I want want to pray that God gives you the anointing to tarry. And we need that anointing, especially in this age. Because the moment I set my heart to tarrying, guess what? The phone rings. Or uh, one of my kids run in and, dad, dad. Can you come and help me with this? Or something gets my attention in my thoughts, and my thoughts wander away from what I actually initially sat down to pray for. You know what I mean? So we need an anointing to tarry. So we're going to pray for that. And anyone here who's been tarrying and praying for the power, we're going to pray for you to receive the baptism. So if any of you here have been, has been tarrying, praying, God, just baptize me. I want that power. It's real, and I don't have it. The power is real, and every single one of us is entitled to it, but there's a condition that goes with it, and we've got to meet the condition. That's why I believe it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, we're all called, every last one of us, but few tarry and believe with all their heart. Amen. Dave.